If a player cleans his ball during play of a hole, except on the putting green, he shall incur a penalty of one stroke. That's a rule, Jerry. But it's just a friendly game. Why do you always have to be such a stickler? Because that's the way I was raised. Welcome to Spirit of the Game, brought to you by the Colorado Golf Association. Here are your hosts, Ed Mate and Lewis Harry. All right, we're back for the first podcast the first spirit of the game for 2024 and i'm delighted to have back for a encore performance robert duke robert good to be here well yeah thank you for having me i know it's it's uh, we're actually recording this full disclosure in 23 but this will air in 24 Mm -hmm. so the the ball will have dropped no pun intended from knee height and we'll be (laughs) off and running in 2024 uh, but no, it's too. great to have you. Uh, to remind those of you who are not uh, regulars to the spirit of the game, uh, Robert was our tournament director, rules and competitions director for four or five years, and has uh, the last couple of years. How many years has it been now? Three? Uh, it's been three come like May of 24. Okay. Um, yeah. So you're going to be so, entering your three seasons. Fourth season. This will be your fourth season as a rules official for the LPGA Tour um so yeah Looks yeah like and second for the lpga did two years with the symmetra slash epson tour and right. they started full lpga and speaking of symmetra slash epson one of our mm-hmm. very own robin Choi was the low qualifier at q school this year that was pretty fun to see so yeah, yeah she did great had a couple other um i think uh, yeah, becca huffer she made uh, it through Made it through, yeah, and she had a really good year on Epson. And, uh, yeah, Robin Choi came in big, so she's going to have yeah. um, some status next year on LPGA, so I'll be seeing her out there. All right, so we're going to talk rules. That's the theme of Spirit of the Game. And, and you remember what I am, right? There's the Spirit of the Gamer in the Letter of the yes. Law, and I'm a – what am I? Spirit of the Game. And what are you? Spirit of the Game. What are you? I am, I am Letter of the Law. You're Letter of the Law? Well, I think – Lewis Harry, who's my co-host, who's on vacation this week, um, it takes your letter of the law to a whole new level. He is a letter. If you're letter of the law, he's like, uh, I don't know, what's smaller than a letter? And he's got all the rules, uh, number, numbers, pun- memorized. Punctuation of the law. That's right. So, you know, you've uh, you've uh, left things in good, good stead there with Lewis. You do remind good. me of him, and he reminds me of you, so I... Way too often call him Robert, but I am getting better. So I want to ta- start with the rollback, uh, the announcement uh-huh. uh, about the rollback that the USJ issued and the RNA issued was really glossed over by the next week or maybe days after John Rom news that pretty much buried it. Right. Um, yeah. And what I thought was really interesting was there was, not surprisingly, really very little made of any reaction from the LPGA tour. And I just went out on Google to see if there was anything publicly stated. Um, again, just to refresh everyone's memory, the initial plan was a model local rule to carve out only those highly skilled players uh, and making this rollback rule only apply to those players. Theoretically, the LPGA would not have been included. Now they are along with the rest of us. So pausing there for a minute what is what is your setting up golf courses for the lpga tour what is your quote-unquote take of just anything you you're you'd like to share about the rollback in general and the lpga in in particular yeah um you know i think distance wise you know it wasn't an issue for us i didn't think it you know and i don't think anybody thinks and our, our players or fans or anybody who you know, watches that, you know, that there was a distance issue, if you want to use that word issue with um, women's professional golf, you know, because most of the time, you know, all the time, almost, we're not going all the way back on these golf courses we're playing. There's, there's one golf course that I could think of, and I was trying to think of it before this. um, It's Wilshire Country Club out in Los Angeles, 100 plus year old golf course, and we play it all the way back there pretty much. And, you know, nine under one after four rounds, which is 
so the course is still holds up really well and it plays at around 6,400 yards, which is kind of our standard 63, 64, 6,500 yards. Um, and we're not, you know, and we're playing those on a 7,000 yard golf course, maybe. So a lot of times, you know, we're using the second, third, sometimes fourth box from the rear. So if distance, you know, was an issue for us, we would just continue to move back because we have space. Obviously with this, you know, decision, it's, not targeted at the LPGA or women's golf. It's, you know, for the entirety of golf, you know, when we're wrapped up in that, we're in the spread pattern, if you will, we're just bystanders of that. We're going to be wrapped up in it because we play golf using these golf balls that are going to be just rolled back across the board. So whether we like it or not, or whether, you know, we want it or not, it's going to happen. And, you know, our players will get used to it and they'll adjust to it. And, um, it'll be, you know, a wholesale equipment change for everyone, you know, so be on the same page, the, you know, at the same sea level, it's, if it goes up, it goes up, it goes down, it goes down. It's the same tide, you know, for everyone, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, mm-hmm. they're going to use it at the same time. Has there been any discussion about this that you've heard among the, your coworkers or just in the player locker room, so to speak, uh, water cooler conversations around it, or has it been kind of a non-issue? Um, not really. I mean, this kind of the news came out, what, like two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, we've kind of shut down our, you know, our last big, uh, event was, you know, the CME championship and that's 60 players, you know, limited field in that way, our top 60 players. And that was in, you know, late, November. And then, you know, I went to Q series and, you know, not much talking about there with that, but um, yeah, we really haven't just been around each other at tournaments since this came out. I know it leaked or whatever a little early and people were giving their opinions and takes on it. And as a group, we never really talked about it, but I I don't think anyone's ever thought, wow, they're really hitting it too far. And, you know, when we think about our setup, you know, we're trying to take into account the big hitters where our average is going to be. And then our, on the, smaller side as well so we're that's how we're thinking of distance and in that regard it's all relative i guess we're trying to set the course up as best we can uh, for everyone and so if the ball goes a little shorter and we need to borrow distance we can always just move up a tee box and right see it forward right like that's what the usga put in whatever like 10 yeah years and i don't i don't campaign. know what the average club head speed is on the lpga tour you know, compared to the PJ Tour, the the new threshold <clears throat> is uh-huh. 125 miles per hour, and that's effectively what is driving the new distance standard. So you just—it's a math equation. You just take five miles per hour swing head speed and you add it, and you still have an overall distance standard. Um, so the testing threshold is now more in line with the 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 swing speeds of the the most the the, the longest hitters in the game. So again, yeah. it's really not even going to touch the women's game. Um, So again, personally, uh, I can afford to have my opinions out there maybe a little bit more than you can because uh, uh, you work for an organization that, uh, I mean, I'll do respect. I mean, nobody listens to me. That's my point. People actually listen to you. Um, I would have, I thought it was fascinating to see how the whole thing played out and how it started out as a model local rule, which I think was smart. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, we could talk for hours about the hypocrisy of this and, and organizations that were against, uh, were there actually were were pro bifurcation, meaning Mm -hmm. allow some players to use a bank anchored club as a, for instance, that now seem to be against it. But I thought just in terms of addressing the issue, you know, why you're catching a lot of dolphin in this tuna net. Uh, that have no reason to be in that net. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not. Yeah. Um, again, I know I do understand that it sort of preserves this idea of we all play the same game, which is not true at all. Um, and I put Thomas Pagel on the spot on one of our podcasts earlier this year and, and basically said, you know, this notion that the USGA is always held on to which with such fervor that there's only one game, there's only one book. And I'm like, come on, when you make 20 exceptions or 30 exceptions or a hundred exceptions with model local rules, how can you right. st- still make the case that the, there is one game? 
and and Robert or Robert, I'm now I'm mixing you with Thomas. Thomas said, you know, he doesn't really cling to the term bifurcation the way he once did. And now it's just more like options. There are options. It's one game, but you can turn certain options on or off. Um, so anyway, yeah, like I, a menu, you have yeah, a la carte yeah. items and like, well, I'll take these drop zones and yeah, I'll take the, uh, you know, uh, temporary yeah. movable obstruction, you know, we'll do that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, well, you know, to your, go no, ahead. No, no, I was just going to say the other thing is we've already done this. I mean, there already is a mechanism for this called the one ball rule. And we didn't make a big deal about mm. that. The one ball rule was introduced for skilled players. It wasn't for yeah. everybody. And yeah. so it's just amazing. And again, if I had to sum it up in, I guess, four words, much ado, that's a word about nothing. Because it's yeah, that's what, one word. 2028 yeah. that this goes into effect at the professional level. And I don't even know if the LPGA will adopt it in 2028. Um, you probably don't know the answer to that. And then for the rest of us, 2030. So it's so far off. Right that you know and it's gonna i don't know and i, I guess i heard that like 20 percent or more of the balls that are already out there are conforming yeah so i think it was 30 i was reading yeah. the insights earlier today um just to reread it again and it was yeah 30 percent. it sounds like from their article already conform in their current state and which balls those are and how you know which how much they're used i don't know who which ones they are but they didn't really say okay so i'm going to put you on the spot and you can either move off the spot or you can take it uh, one of the joys of talking to you is you're a very thoughtful person you have opinions no fun to have people on that don't have opinions and maybe now that you work for the lpga we you know, your opinions have been washed away what do you think uh -huh. of this what, what do you what does robert duke if you were the usga would you be doing this or do you think that you just leave it alone? I think I would do it, and I'm I'm not upset they're doing it. And it, if it were me at the controls, um, I think I would flip the switch, so to speak, as far as rolling the ball back. And you know, you look at what they do, right? The USDA, you know, again, take we're talking, you know, we were talking about LPGA, which is a very small subsection subsection of the golfing world. I mean, any professional golf is such a small fragment of it you take a step back and you look at globally this game and that they're in charge of with governance. Cause that's, that's what they do. They're government. You know, we play by the rules they, and they aren't a right, you know, certainly have a little input and there's, you know, things we talk about that are unique problems to the LPGA and, and the PGA tour that maybe other golf courses or other organizations don't have. So there is input that way. Um, but for them, as far as governance, yeah, I think, rolling it back or maybe a better turn putting on the brakes of, of where the ball is going. Cause it's all relative, right? And our players will adjust. They'll figure it out. Yeah. The ball won't go as far. Um, and it's going to have, it sounds like it's happening. So I'm not necessarily for anti, you know, cause whatever I think, I guess, I guess I am for it. I mean, in that way, globally, right. For everyone, we're the LPJ is a part of the golf ecosystem. So we're going to, you know, if it rolls back for everyone, but you know, our concern necessarily isn't the concern of the health of, you know, right. What I might do when I play golf, but it's part of the overall health of the game. And if it's going to make the overall health of the game better, which I'm hoping it does. And I'm trusting the USJ that they're using their judgment, that it does help the overall health of the game. Then that's what I want. You know, I mm -hmm. want the game to be in a good place and, you know, down the road, even though I'm not in charge of it, in that way. Right. I'm, I'm just running competitions for LPG right, tour. Right. Um, I'm still a golfer and I love golf and, you know, our players are going to get caught in it too. And whatever, you know, maybe that number goes higher or lower. I don't know. Does the rollback, you know, Oh, that we didn't roll it back far enough. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, are, is they putting the brakes on, you know, I think if it helps the game, I'm for it. Um, and our players will adjust, you know, the distance, you know, um, it's been increasing and, you know, the players that want to increase, I think, can keep going that way. Um, well, when you talk, yeah, I, I think yeah, it's yeah. not a bad when thing. When you talk to the USGA, uh, they say you'll get really two reactions in general. One is you didn't go far enough. Um, you should have done a lot this sooner, faster, mm. a lot more. Uh, yeah. And I'd probably fall in that camp. Um, and then those who are very much against it. Just in looking at that article that I Googled, 
and it came up to uh, Brittany Lincecum, who I guess was known as one of the longest hitters mm-hmm. uh, on the tour. Uh, I don't know if she still is. And her reaction um, was very much the kind of absolute kind of, I'll call it a shoot from the hip uninformed position. She had read Keegan Bradley's comments. Keegan Bradley was just making these extreme statements about how he'd lost 40 yards and, you know, it's never going to be the same. And, and like the worst decision ever, um, just very, very, um, you know, not very measured. And uh-huh. then, then Lydia Ko was much more measured. Um, and I think that really, like anything, you have certain people that are thoughtful and certain people are not. Um, and again, anybody who thinks the USJ is doing this just because they want to be a disruptor uh, and they feel right. like a need to puff out their chest and say, look at us, they are, they really are ill-informed. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the USGA is a perfect organization. And again, in this country, we tend to put this on the, the USGA. Well, it really is the RNA and the USGA who govern the game. Right. And right. this was arrived at after incredible study. I thought, you know, I I referred to the study as the no blank Sherlock report because I would have done it in about a week. You know, they did it yeah. in over seven years. And if there's ever been an organization that approached something with care and thought and research, oh my goodness. So mm-hmm. to, to sort of, you know, stockpile, you know, dogpile on them and say this was just a, a you know, silly, and I think that was the word that Brittany used, silly, silliness. Huh. I mean, come on, you're just haven't even taken a minute to even take your head out of the, out of the sand. Well, I think it's hard to know what's going to happen, right? I mean, we've thought about this, I think, for a while because there's always been echoes and rumors of, well, they're going to roll the ball back or, you know, pull back the driver or whatever. So I'll be interested to see what happens with it because nobody really knows. I mean, other than the ball's not going to go as far. Um, Right. So, you know, I think I read in that article with USA, you know, Mike Wan said something along the lines of doing nothing is not an option, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, doing what the USGA says and in their motto or whatever it is, you know, for the good of the game, you know, I, I believe them when they say that and that they're, they've put, you know, thought into it and research into it certainly because they have that kind of, you know, capability to, to, you know, you've seen their testing center, the amount of mm-hmm. well, now it's in, you know, now, tools they have. To well, now it's in pine. The stuff and, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with it. Um, but well, and, and the, the other thing that, you know, we're not in a vacuum here. I mean, the biggest story in golf for the last several years, well, right. two or three has been the, um, uh, the live versus PGA tour war. And it really does shine the light on, do I really care about professional golf? I mean, this topic of rollback, you know, and I, 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 I follow the professional game very closely. LPGA, PGA, DP World Tour, the Let. If there's golf on, I'm watching. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a nut when it comes to wanting to watch golf. Uh, is my interest level higher or lower depending on if it's the best players? Obviously, yes. I mean, I'm going to watch the majors, but a lot of avid avid golfers don't pay any attention to the professional tours. They just go out and play golf and they have fun. They're not fans of watching golf on TV. Uh, Lewis Harry is. Or it's not appointment viewing, right? They're not going to stop what they're doing on a Sunday, with a few exceptions, maybe, and say, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to watch this golf tournament." Um, They might DVR or see what catch up later, but I don't know how much of it is appointment viewing. Um, Well, probably. I think people that do care care a lot, right? Right. I mean, right. But the point is, in this context, who cares what the professional game? You know, the average player who's not necessarily glued to the TV. You know, are they even aware of this? First of all, they may like, and they're not going to notice it. And when you say health of the game, you know, um, it's healthy today and it'll be healthy tomorrow. And whether with with or without a rollback or, you know, I don't know. I I think that we tend to make things bigger than they necessarily are. So the last comment that I've heard on, on, on as far as health of the game, and I thought it was a good point on one of the many podcasts I've listened to. If the game was really struggling, they would say, 
we can't possibly do this when the game is struggling. If the game was sort of on on a plateau, they'd say we can't do this while the game is flat. But since the game is growing, uh, oh, we can't yeah. do it now. So they're gonna. That's just a sort of an empty argument. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I just like I said, much to do about nothing as far as I'm concerned. Well, and I think there's something you had mentioned too. I don't think anyone's gonna not play golf because their ball doesn't go five to seven percent farther uh, right. right and because you talked about it i think with the anchor ban someone who anchored their whole life now professionals okay they're they really you know theoretically someone go out and play with it anchored right now at their local course like because they don't right they're just playing golf like whether they anchor it or not maybe it doesn't matter to them but for the professionals they have to relearn maybe how to putt but i don't think anyone is going to give up the game of golf because the because of the well like you said the anchor band people said okay i can't do that now in official competitions i gotta do this way and they still play golf no one's gonna give up golf who's played golf or not get into golf because the ball went five percent or seven percent or nine percent whatever it ends up being um less than what it would have been the previous year and for someone who picks up the game of golf in five years and ten years they're never gonna know the difference right it's they're gonna oh like i used to hear about you know, balada balls. I've never hit a balada ball. I don't know what that even means to hit a balada ball. So that had no impact on me. And I think maybe that's the long-term thinking of the health of the game is in five years, like people that just get into the game, it won't matter for them. Right. And that's what they're doing it for, for that long tail out. Right, right. Um, and I think, you know, again, from our professional side, you know, if they think it's going to be um, a hindrance to their game and, you know, they work hard at trying to gain distance and use that to their advantage. You know, we talked to players about that with core setup stuff and um, you know, some players that's, that's where they make their money, right. Is the par fives is getting home in two or setting themselves up in a better position on a long par four. Maybe, you know, they're the ones who it really matters to. Um, so that's just a really zoomed in viewpoint, which is, you know, what I'm on here today for is to talk about specifically the LPGA tour. So in that small sphere of the golf world, which to me is a big sphere of the golf world. Cause that's where I work. Mm-hmm. It's really important. And they're going to anything that they deem detrimental to their game. I think they're going to have an issue with. So I totally get that because a lot of the minor details that you and I might say, eh, it doesn't matter to them. That could be the difference between making a cut, missing a cut, a top 10, winning yeah, a tournament. That's fair. So for them, all those little things are blown up and I get, you know, um, some of the fresh looks, Brittany, I, I get her frustration with that um, mm. and saying, well, I, I hit the ball farther. Now I feel a little less advantaged. Well, okay. I understand that. But like I said earlier, um, it's going to happen because it's not just a local rule anymore. It's, it's the golf ball. It's like this piece of equipment you have to use to even play the game is going to be rolled back a little bit. So everyone's on the same plane with that part of well, it. It's an so equipment it's, change for everybody. So yeah. So let's That's move. Let's, just an adjustment. Yeah, let's move to uh, uh, the next topic um, yeah. in honoring our forty-minute uh, rule, uh, <laughs> the forty seconds to hit a shot and forty minutes to record a podcast. So what? Any? And so third season out on the LPGA tour. Curious to know any any notable rulings that have came up in your in your uh, uh, for you specifically mm-hmm. or. Uh, that, that that might be of interest to folks that listen. Yeah, you know, most of the rulings we get are pretty are pretty benign. You know, um, you see some stuff. It's funny that you think will never happen, and then it like it just finds a way um, on on a, on the LPJ tour or at a, at a high level for some reason. You know, the where where a ball gets into a tree at. You're like, how could this ever have happened? And <laughs> and there it is in this like we had one this year in a hollowed out tree. I think it was in Arkansas. And I have no idea how the ball got up in there, but they found it and they were like, here's our ball. What do we do? You know, we took an unplayable. Um, so it, we, it's weird. It kind of goes both ways. There's a lot of average stuff where, you know, you have a day and five rulings and they were all about a, a cart path or whatever, which, okay, fine. That's pretty easy. Um, and then there's some where it's like that it's, it's say an easy ruling, but it's like the unplayable ball. It's just like, but I've never seen something like that before. Um, one that happened this year and it didn't happen to me. I was there as in Cincinnati. Um, but I heard about, I was on the radio or on the radio, but talking about hitting the ball far, we had a par four that players were driving and it was tipped out and it was downwind. And it was like the 
10th hole, I want to say, at Cincinnati. And player was on the green. She was putting. And the group behind, I guess, thought they had moved out of the way because we were doing a wave up. And maybe there was a miscommunication there. But anyway, so she's putting. Group on the tee thinks they're clear to go. She drives it on the green. The ball's rolling up. This player has no idea. She putts. As your ball's rolling to the hole, the ball played from the tee hits her ball as it was being put. Oh and yeah, came with the radio. What, we, what are the odds of that? Right. Like yeah. there's, and that's one of those things when I read the rules sometimes and just the way I read them and kind of break them down or study, if you want to say it like that is, you know, I try to think of a situation that I've had happen and then tweak it like one degree more. And like, okay, now what would happen in this situation? And while that doesn't seem uncommon, like, okay, you could have a situation where players putting and, a player off the green is chipping and didn't notice or in a bunker. Right, the blast right. And that seems somewhat common. Like people are playing ready golf. They didn't see each other. Their balls hit. That's fine. And it doesn't change the ruling at all, obviously, but from playing it off the tee, I've never, you know, how well, just you think have about, think about that. how much space golf balls occupy. Oh, and right. The idea yeah. that a ball that was started out 300 yards away ends right. up occupying the exact same space as another yeah. ball, both in motion. So they're, the only, exact in that, same time. they're right. only in that location for a split second. And yeah. they happen to hit in that yeah. location. I mean, I always say that everybody has lottery odds. We just very rarely use those odds to win millions. We usually use them to get really bad stuff happen to us. Yeah. One. <laughs> or a player in this case. And it wasn't a bad break for anybody. I mean, right. well, what's the ruling, you know, by the way? Tell let, let our listeners know how do you rule in that situation? Yeah, so the player who hit the ball, well, sorry, the player who drove the ball from the tee, um, and you can look at it as a stroke made off the putting green, that ball is going to be played as it lies, which after the deflection, and you're right, like, what are the odds if either player takes half a second more to mm -hmm. take a deep breath or, or whatever, or just the, the whole a wind direction, of the day. You know, a little the wind, old butterfly exactly. effect, right? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's it's exactly it's the butterfly effect. So any one of those things changes, and you know, it doesn't matter. And it's the situation we would forget about in ten minutes, where a ball rolled by another ball, and we wouldn't even have got called for it. The player would have looked around and been like, "Why is she hitting into me?" Right. You know, and it right. wasn't intentional; it was totally on accident. But anyway, so the ball so played from the tee. That hits lies. the ball. That ball is played as it lies. So wherever that comes up after deflecting another ball, played from the putting green, that's in play. You're playing it. Uh, the ball that was putt because it was played from the green and it hit this ball in motion, that is going to be a, a must cancel and replay. So she's going to not even have the option. She has to cancel and right, replay that stroke. Right. So hit a good putt, hit a bad putt, doesn't matter. She's no penalty, of course, picking her ball up and putting it back on the spot and playing. You mentioned before we went live here, uh, started recording, um, a change in the 2023 rules and it that definitely – came up um, and that's balls that yeah. have been dropped or, or placed and then subsequently move after they come. Yeah. So maybe yeah. you can explain the change in the rule and where it, what, what, um, where, how you dealt with it. Yeah. And that was, I think people just kind of offhand called that the Ricky Fowler rule. Cause I think that popped up first in a major way at the waste management, I think, where he yeah, his ball to a penalty area. Yeah. yeah, okay. So he was definitely on TV. His ball into a penalty area, and everything is mown real fine there. It's real tight, you know, so there's not a lot of friction for the golf ball to grab onto, especially on a, you know, if the, there's a you know, hill rolling into a pond. So it hits in the penalty area. Drop, drop, place, place, gets it to come to rest, and goes up there, he's reading his putt, and he's like on the green, the ball, for no, you know, whatever, gravity, whatever, the grass shifted, rolls into the penalty area. He gets penalized for that. You know, I think a lot of people didn't feel that was right. And, okay, he didn't really do anything to cause his ball. He's being penalized for that. You know, he didn't act on it. He didn't play a poor stroke. Maybe he took a poor drop and dropped it on too much of a pitch. I don't know. I mean, you wouldn't say that either. But he didn't do anything to cause it to, to move, and he gets penalized for it. So that was updated. It, that wasn't the only situation or only time that it happened. Um, but that was the biggest one. And this, that moniker, I guess, got tagged on the, the rule. But um, the way the road work now is if 
after taking relief, whether placing, dropping, replacing a ball, um, once it's come to rest and it, and it moves and it goes to another area of the course, you'd be required to replace the ball on the spot. If it just moves and come to rest an inch away and it, it just didn't change areas of the course, then you're playing your ball. It's that changing areas of the course or going out of bounds even. If a ball were to roll out of bounds – same yeah, concept. I thought, I thought that was this. a very smart way of dealing with it because I would mm -hmm. have another way of dealing with it would would have been anytime a ball moves, even if it doesn't move to a different part of the course after it's been dropped mm -hmm. or placed, you would replace it. That's more like yeah. the putting green rule, right? Where you kind of you establish yeah. it as a fixed point when you put a mark and lift it. Mm -hmm. The same would sort of carry over in the general area that. Uh, or other parts of the course, I should say, where a ball has been returned to play. Uh -huh. So it it wasn't a stroke that got it there. It was a hand, either a place or a drop. Right. And I think that was a very smart way to limit this and kind of contain it because it's it's not unusual. or It's obviously a lot less unusual for a ball to move a little bit after it's remained at rest than it is for it to roll all the way into a penalty area or all the way off the golf course. And I, oh. I think it was a very good change. The other thing, yeah. that came up, interestingly enough, Ricky Fowler handled it beautifully. He didn't mm. bemoan. He didn't. He just played on. And it certainly was a bad break. The next year, Charlie Hoffman, or maybe two years yeah, later, the right. same thing yeah. happened, where he placed it on a tuft of grass, and it was precarious, and it rolled into a penalty area. Same exact situation, and he went ballistic. Mm and sent out a tweet and named everybody. And so there's nobody out here to protect the players while he finishes, you know, T30 or T60. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, um, but did you have situations come up where, where this kind of, there was an unintended consequence or did it play out kind of the way you think the rule was intended to, to be? I think it played out beautifully with regard to, yeah, why the rule was introduced in the first place, or why maybe let's say it was updated in the first place, um, or added on rather to the rule mm -hmm. that's now in nine point three. Um, I think it worked just as intended, and I don't know. And if if you think about the future, and you talk about how the putting green has evolved with rules, and you know, it used to be, or let's say now, like you said, once you mark it and lift it, you own that spot. You know what? No matter what happens, if it moves in it or whatever, you're you're back on that spot. And that doesn't pertain to anywhere else, any other four areas of the course or other three areas of the course where that would conceivably happen. Mm -hmm. It's just if your ball rolls over and in the fairway and you haven't touched it, then you're playing it. You don't own that spot because theoretically you've not picked it up yet, right? You, or you hopefully haven't picked it up. But if, to your point, if you had and you had to replace it or take a drop and then it rolled in the fairway, you would play it as it lies if the ball was already hit there. And that's kind of how I walk it through if a player's asking about that. And, you know, the, where it's come up this year where I think it, you know, um, it's worked. There was an event toward the end of the year at Pelican and really great golf course, uh, really good shape. And it's just, it's all the, you know, fairway edges are mown like right under the water. It's all really firm and fine. So there's situation, and it's all pretty pitched too. So there's situations where, you know, ball's definitely not going to come to rest, or if it does, and I would have a lot of players, and I after I had these rulings, I'd start almost leading with it to say, hey, you know, once your ball's in play here because you've hit into a penalty and you've taken a drop and place place, mm -hmm. or drop, drop, place, place, um, if your ball moves and goes back in, you're not going to be repenalized, right? So that's something I think a lot of them are worried about because they got the ball to come to rest, but they know if it, if it starts moving at all, there's a chance it goes in the penalty area, and they're worried about, hey, it's just going to, repenalize me and it's nice to be able to say hey no yeah, your, your ball's in Take play here you've you've, yeah. you've paid your one penalty stroke now you're good so i think it's worked as intended in that way and you know i'm trying to think of another time where it hurt the player but i you know i, well, I don't know they're really always going to be benefited yeah. it's a very player-friendly rule yeah. for a good reason i think everyone whether you're a golfer or not or i mean whatever you see that Ricky Fowler situation and say, so, oh, he's penalized a stroke. And you'd say, that doesn't feel right. Um, so I think so this is, I have a couple of things right. here that I'd curious to know. Last month, Lewis and I did a thing that we called dissecting the drop. And we took a little look back using some resources on the history of the drop 
and we speculated on the future and you think mm. about it, you know, how it started out as a throw, then over your shoulder, then arm's length, shoulder height, and then knee height, yeah. where we are today. If you were, again, uh, the decider of these things, would you vote to eliminate the drop and go right to a place? Do you, and again, knowing the benefits, the argument for it is it's going to simplify greatly and all those what-ifs and scenarios that come up by letting the ball fall through the air go away. Mm -hmm. At least theoretically, you're going to reduce them. So it's going to be simpler. The, the downside is now you're not allowing fate to play a hand in where a ball is played when you're returning. Right. The play. Where would you land on that from the LPGA? Not, I'm not saying you're speaking for the LPGA, but where would right. you land? Um, I still think I don't love getting a tour. They're just, I say they, anyone's just placing it after, let's say you hit into a penalty or you're taking it unplayable. I think there still isn't like, you know, you shouldn't be able to just pick your exact lie, right? Cause lies are supposed to be random. Even when you're dropping it from knee height, they don't feel as random because you're really getting able to pick it. You know, if you had a ball 250 yards in the air, you know, you're definitely not getting to pick your line. If you're hovering over it knee height, there's a little more control, but there's still always that concept of you. Once the ball is out of your hand, gravity and a natural force is acting on it. And if it hits and rolls a weird way, that's part of it. Um, I still don't think you should be able to pick your lie as definite as placing it right on that spot. I think you can say, I want to drop it in here. And that's something, you know, we're here a lot of players talking to her caddy and she says, Oh, you know, what do you think? He's like, I, I think, you know, I think you should drop it over there. She says, I want to go over here as well. You know, I, I think this will be a better spot. So try to drop it right here. So there is an element of choosing the area of your lie, but you don't get to choose the lie itself or the ball is contacting yeah, so the ground, which it's really, I like preserving that. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where Lewis definitely is. I made the case, when, uh, given the opportunity to serve on the rules committee, to uh, saying, you know, let's just cut to the chase. This is where we're headed. Let's just get there sooner. Um, I, I don't know. I think it would be hard to go back. You know, once you went to place, it'd be hard to reverse course. Some would say, certainly, you know, yeah, that's definitely. what the rollback is. But again, the, the other idiosyncrasy of this, because if you think about it, what did we really gain by going from shoulder height to knee height? Um, now, before you answer that, think about what we added. We also added that the ball has to remain in the in the relief area. So you used to have a mm -hmm. situation where you drop from shoulder mm -hmm. height, but the ball did not have to remain in the relief area. It was given an extra two club lengths. Mm -hmm. So it, it was much more random. It was much more similar. So those two go together. Yeah. So theoretically, the knee height is going to reduce the distance the ball travels once it... But now the this is a classic example of unintended consequence because now a smart player has the ability to be very calculating in where they drop it. Uh -huh. And if they drop it at the, the extreme edge of the relief area, even from knee height, they know pretty darn well it's going to roll out. And now they know it's going to do it a second time and now they can place it. So there's uh -huh. no doubt that we introduced with the knee height drop and the must stay in the relief area, the uh -huh. ability to manipulate more. So the ball is getting placed more, much more than it used yeah. to. Um, so other than that, what did we accomplish from knee height? Um, and, and maybe you, we should go back to, it has to stay in the, it, it doesn't have to stay in the relief area, uh, but mm -hmm. keep it at knee height. So the chances of it staying in the relief area. So I, I honestly think that those two things were being discussed concurrently. And again, I was inside the rope, so to speak of the discussion <laughs> And the original yeah. plan was an inch off the ground. And before that, it was it was a release. So right. the thing in the relief area was not necessarily paired. It was paired with something really akin to a place. And they ended up with a, yeah. or a knee height. And now you end up with kind of, I don't know. I know that we're probably losing people on this, but uh, um, I do find this to be a really interesting little wrinkle. That came out of 2020, 2019. Well, it's, yeah, I remember, I, funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about that when you were talking about earlier, the progression. I remember it sounded like from talking to you and reading some of the stuff that was like, you know, before the rules came out, it was, you know, from 
behind your back to shoulder height. Then it was almost to a situation where the ball had to be touching neither the ground nor your hand at some given time where you just had to like, let it go. And then, okay, that opens a lot of doors of if there's a drop in the rough, well, did she place it? Cause the ball didn't fall and is the ground, the ground, or is the grass, the ground or the whatever. Yeah, yeah. So it, it seems like they not overcorrected, but backed it up and a rung and went back to the knee, which is a stable point. Right. And I still yeah. think when you drop the ball, you know, once you let it go, there's that potential energy and yeah, there's a lot less than from your shoulder where, you know, you drop it and it could go a long way to your point. It, if it rolled less than two club lengths from that spot and went out of the reefer, we're still good. Um, I think it was more for, you know, for the knee. I think it's still needed. I think we still want to have that again, the ball acting on the surface of the ground. And it could go either way to your point about, Oh, it could get out of the relief area. Um, that definitely happens where, and I don't, see as many players trying to do that on purpose. I think it just happens for the most part. From my perspective, players taking relief from a, a situation, they're just trying to get out of the situation they were in. I don't think they're thinking about it as much of, Oh, I want to get to place this. Cause you know, if it's in the fairway, let's say, or, or they're yeah. taken back on the line and whether they're placing it or dropping it in the fairway, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's going to be the same line, no matter what the point you'd want is if there is a, a lot of questionable terrain and they're having to drop into, but because, you know, because of the, the drop, there's still a little bit of randomness acting on it. Um, yeah. I can't really, I don't really have an answer for if a player wants to drop it on the edge and drop, yeah. drop it in place. Well, you're right. Then they most, can do that. That's just part of it. And yeah. if they want to do that, then. Well, most of the time there's nothing it's, we can really not, do it's, about that. It's really a non-issue because as you said, they're driving, right. it's in a fair way. It, you know, and again, I could be the cynic in me would say, well, if it's the PJ tour, they play lift clean in place anyway, most of the time. So what difference does it make? Um, so huh. another subject as we kind of uh, come down the final couple holes here. Um, mm -hmm. And I knew the time would fly by because we, you and I love to, uh, yeah. to go deep uh, on anything. Um, so as you've matured as a rules official, what do you think you've improved at the most in terms of dealing with players from where you were when you were mm. for the first time on the Symmetra tour to where you are now, what's different about the, how you, your bedside manner? That is a good question. Um, to me, the first thing that comes to mind is, and having you say what you just said about time flies, obviously, and people that know me, I like, they like, I talk a lot. You talk a lot. So together mm. that's <laughs> winning combination when it comes to rules, there's a long conversation that feels like five minutes, but really it was 30. Um, I think I've gotten a little bit more succinct when I first started um, than when I first started winning a ruling. Uh, you know, I, I you get to the point a lot quicker. Not that I was slow. I think at first, I just think, I don't know, the, the more you do it, you do it so many times, you can kind of anticipate what's going to happen and where it's going to go. Not to say that you lead or are led, but I think I'm a little bit quicker doing it without obviously compromising anything correct, any correctness or anything that we need to talk about before the ruling is over, you know, because those minutes matter, those seconds matter about having a, a one minute ruling versus a three minute ruling. That's a big deal, you know, and, and usually we're getting radioed in. So it's not like I'm on top of it already. I'm on hole five. There's a ruling on hole three. Takes me a minute to get there, and, and they've already radioed. So that chain of that connection time from when they actually need the ruling to when I get there is still sometimes over a minute anyway. So mm -hmm. time is precious, and there's TV time we're thinking about and, and just keeping players and keeping groups in position. And, again, the most important thing is it being correct. But when I first started, you know, on Epson – you know, candidly, I didn't rules officiate all that much working for the CGA. Um, it was a lot of admin work. It was a lot of, you know, event planning, starting and scoring. And I would talk about rules on the radio, but very rarely would I just go out and have a zone. Like, oh, I'm going to rules officiate in holes one, two, and three. I just didn't do that. We have a lot of volunteers that are great at that and do that. And I would do course setup and stuff like that and starting. But I never really, like, rules officiated truly. Uh obviously there's a book knowledge that comes with it and you know that transfers over to the field but the actual bedside manner i hadn't had a ton of experience with it you pick it up pretty quickly i mean it's not that hard 
but I hadn't really done it a ton at CGA. So that early on, I was like, huh, you know, the job is, Hey, you're, you know, during the tournament, you're going to either set up. And then afterwards, if you, or if you didn't set up your, your zones, one, two, three, or one, two, 18 or whatever, didn't do that a lot. So cutting that time down of, you know, the bedside manner with players, you know, cause they're not asking for a rule seminar. That's the thing is, you know, I see some people do that, not anybody on our team necessarily, but at the CGA level, some of volunteers, they think this it's rule seminar time and it's not, it's like, they just tell me what to do here, man. Like, you know, don't tell me yeah. why the rule functions this way or, or, you know, they're asking for the time and you're telling them how to build a watch. So let um, me make a statement and tell me if this uh, resonates or applies to you. Um, that as, as rules officials become more experienced, they become more player friendly as a general rule. Would you agree with that? Disagree with that? The other idiosyncrasy that you deal with is you get to know these players. They sure. become familiar to you and, and um, you're not going to, it's not a one and done. So how much does that influence? Right. So really respond to the first part, which is you feel like you are more friendly. And when I say friendly, what I mean is are you more likely to give relief now than when you first started? No, no, I think that stays pretty neutral and probably not the opposite necessarily, but it becomes like nothing really changed. I mean, it just becomes the baseline, right? You're, and you, yeah, like you said, you get to know players, um, you know, caddies, you know them, you see them when you're traveling, you see them on the course, whatever. You just, you do get friendly and you just know people and say, hi, you know, you know what they're doing and, and oh, how's your, how's your brother doing? How's, how's your son doing? You know, you, you know people, you know their names. Um, so you talk to them that way, but with regard to giving a ruling, you know, the ruling is the ruling. It doesn't matter who or what it's with or who it's for giving relief or not giving relief. It just comes down to what the situation is, is, you know, and it's not about me, right. I'm right. You know, a vessel for the rules to say the rules don't allow this, or yes, I know this is a strange situation, but we've talked about this as a rules team, you know, during our, our survey and, and prior to the tournament as a group. And we, we all know this is not going under repair and any other player who hits it in there, we've already talked about it. And you're the third player today who's in here in this area, whatever it may be, it's not going under repair. And we've talked about it. So it doesn't matter who or, or what it's for or what it's with. It's, it's just the ruling is the ruling. And you don't really take any, I'll say ownership of it or like, Oh, I know this person. So it's different. It's like, this is what the rules say. And, and, Right. I'm here to help you well, with it. And if you need to take relief and we can go that route, but otherwise this is what the rule is. And yeah. that's the rule. So a little more context around this particular topic. I mean, and I would, I would say that as I have grown and evolved as a rules official, and, and as you pointed out, haven't done it on a regular basis, but have worked enough tournaments. And I, you and I, as you said, are similar. I definitely have given less rules seminars and more rulings um, get in, get out um, in a friendly way. But I would say that it's been my observation that those who do it professionally, you, Pete, the other, you know, uh, uh -huh. professional level rules officials are generally more friendly. They don't go into a rules situation with an already, you know, kind of a conference. I think that's an experience when you see, because when you think about referees in sports, they're usually being, you know, attacked there. We don't treat, mm. it's always amazed me that what is, you know, we, we teach decorum and, and etiquette. And yet when you get into a, an arena, it's okay to yell profanities at the poor people that are there trying to make sure the game is played. It's just, is it's just sort of a disconnect for me. Why is it that it's okay that the moment uh, in a hockey game, they start singing three blind mice when the, when the uh, referees, <laughs> lines guys get on the yeah. line. So anyway, um, I think that's sort of just a natural thing that people assume they're going to be attacked and that they have to be kind of a cop as opposed to, no, I'm here to help. I'm here to help you. Mm -hmm. And just in the way you, I like what you said, they're a vessel. I'm not, it's not a personal thing. I'm just applying. Right. And I'm sure at the, at the other sports, you see that same tendency. Some are, some are better at delivering bad news than others. And that's just, I think, and that's a good point. I mean, that's just, you know, a demeanor I try to be mindful of is just to be, be friendly and, and 
I'll say be in a good mood, but, you know, just be neutral about it. I'm, I'm talking to this player about a ruling, you know, to your point, if, and this doesn't happen that much where if someone's short with you or, you know, in a bad mood, you know, they're working right now. They're, this is not just around a golf. This is impacting them, you know, mm-hmm. as they play. So if they're in a bad mood, I don't take it personally because it's not necessarily directed at me. And, and sometimes if, you know, I'm in a bad mood, it's not directed at anybody in, in particular. I'm just maybe in a bad mood because I'm in a bad mood or whatever. So I, I go the same route and maybe they have a reason to be in a bad mood. They're, you know, not playing very well and, and I'm giving them more bad news, but you don't even look at it with that tent. Even I guess bad news is even not the right term because it's neither good nor bad. It's just, it's what it is. And right. they might take it as bad. They might take it as good, but that doesn't really matter. It's like, here's, here's what, here's the situation. These are the facts. This is the answer. And, and if you need any help, we can go there. But I think having a good demeanor about it is, you know, part of it. And you just go in neutral and, you know, right. Don't take anything home with you from that. One of, one of the more memorable uh, pieces of advice I got was from Andy McPhee, who I think is now retired. He was a rules official on the European tour. Now the DP world tour, very, very uh, seasoned experienced official. And we we're just chatting over lunch. I've told this story many times, maybe told it to you. And he said, you know, I was just saying, kind of picking his brain on what this topic, you know, how do I get mm-hmm. better at being a rules official bedside manner? And he says, you know, don't be afraid to, and I, I'm using my own words here, to give mm-hmm. the player a preview of coming attractions. It's okay to walk a player through a ruling from A to Z and not, mm-hmm give advice and he said that he sees a lot of rules officials so reluctant to kind of um sort of hypothesize on what might be coming and they're in the process of doing that you're Mm -hmm. giving the player you're got you're leading the witness um and that really resonated with me because and he gave me an example of balls in the tio and it's going to say it's a really complicated one and he knows where the ball is going to end up and he mm-hmm. doesn't hesitate to tell the player that we're going to end up over here. Mm-hmm. But it, as opposed to, because it sometimes in that, in connecting those dots, if the player drops slightly differently than what you anticipate, they may not end up there. And then you put yourself out and wait, wait a minute, you said we're going to end up there. And now right. we're not up there. So it's, it's a delicate thing, but I really, um, and you have to be careful because you don't, you can't theoretically tell a player, well, if I were you, I would drop in this right. area as opposed to, you know, at this extent of the relief area, because then your ball is most likely going to be entitled to secondary relief from a new situation. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I just think there is a balance there. And and I've probably been too far on the other side where I was like, no, nope, I'm just going to let it happen. And mm-hmm. then if, you know, I, I don't know if any of that resonates with you or um, you've seen that kind of unfold. Um. Yeah, I, I get what he's saying. Um, you know, you just kind of lay the options down and say, here's here's what we've got here. And um, players, I mean, you know, they're pretty smart about it. They know, because, you know, especially ones that are veterans that maybe had a similar situation or seen a similar situation. And like all golfers, you know, and especially then they remember things, right? You, you know, a lot of players, oh, I hit, I was playing yesterday, I had, you know, 150 in, hit seven iron. And, you, you know, I had a little bit of cut spin on it. And so they can tell you a lot they'll remember rulings from the past where mm-hmm. say, well, I, I saw she did this and this, or, or I, I had this happen and this happened. And they'll ask not leading question, but they'll start asking questions and you just say, you know, yes or no. Yes. This is, well, this will get you here. And if you did this, this will get you there, but they're asking. So a lot of times they're driving the conversation now because they know, okay, well there's temporary water there or whatever it is. And then there's yeah. you are over there. And so they're kind of, but they're also doing it because they're wanting guidance on if this is obviously correct like you know no player wants to cheat you know nobody wants to take a bad drop they want to play within the rules but they also want to explore what the rules are going to give them and where it's going to take them before they do it and that's something i always preface to say well before you pick your ball up and not to lead anybody but it's like you might be playing it here i don't want you to pick it up and then Mm -hmm. now we have a whole other situation because we're dealing with whatever the situation is right here Mm -hmm. so before we you know and i always kind of lead before you know, you don't play it as it lies, right? Because you can, here's, you know, your option is this or this. And I give them, if they have multiple options, you know, for a TIO, for instance, you know, we use either side relief option where they can go either side. 
So I'll say you can, you know, play it here, or you can you can take it over here, or you can take it over there in hereabouts, and we'll measure when we get there. But I'll give them their options, and then they're smart enough; they know the angles and their game and where they want to get, where they want the ball to go. I'm just there telling them yes or no, we can't go that way, or why not? Well, because of this, or, or whatever it may be. Um, well, listen, I, yeah. um, let me leave you with this question, big, broad. Are you having fun? Is this, are you happy you left this? I mean, we miss you. Uh, <laughs> although Lewis has uh, certainly filled your shoes and better than in some ways and will never replace Robert. That's for sure. Um, your Thank spirit you. and your unique uh, perspective is truly yours, just like anybody. But how are mm. you, is this job what you thought it was going to be? Is it something that uh, you're really enjoying? What, uh, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, uh, for the most part, it is what I thought it would be. I mean, there's all these little things you never know till you start working, but it's what I thought it was going to be. I do enjoy it, um, you know, for the LPGA, especially the travel is something that's, you know, a lot more more broad than I was ever doing. Um, you know, we're globally, we go to a lot of places, which is good for the game and good for our game. I think we have a lot of places we take the tour and where the tour takes us that, you know, are places I'd never seen before and, we're going to places that this is the only professional golf they might get. And it's certain it's at the highest level. So that's very cool. We'll have good crowds and, you know, Thailand or, you know, uh, China um, because, you know, they're just, they're golf crazy over there in some, in some parts. So have you been able to, said, have you been able to take advantage of those trips at all outside of the, or is it pretty much head down, go to the golf course and, or have you been able to extend a trip knowing that you're interested in mm -hmm. a lot of things, philosophy sure. and, uh, you know, so I'm just curious if you yeah. able to enjoy. Anything. I, like I said, this was my first year this year. So I didn't do as much as a add on where, and you can do that. And some of our people do where they say, Oh, I'm, when I'm going to New York and I'm going to tack on an extra few days on the tail end. Cause I, I don't have another tournament to go to. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that as much or, Hey, I'm in France, right? We're at the Evian. I'm going to stay for a couple days before I fly back. I didn't do that much last year. Uh, I'm just trying to feel it out and kind of the rhythm of it. Um, I might do that a little bit more this year, but I probably won't stay and add an extra week in China. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of hard to get around um, for me. I just obviously I don't know Lika, uh, the language. Um, not that I couldn't get around it, but uh, I just haven't done that yet. But you can. I mean, it's not you know something you can't do. Obviously, if you, if your tournament ends and you have another tournament to go to you're traveling to get to their tournament. But if you have a tournament and it ends and you're just going back home, you can certainly stick around for a few days. Um, during the tournaments, it depends on what it is, you know, and, and your involvement. If you're the advance official, maybe a little less time to go do stuff. But sometimes, you know, if you're in a, a good area with a lot going on, you get home and I can go out and, and go see the culture. And was able to do that in China last year a little bit, had two or three nights. We went out with some of the other crew who did speak the language and we went out to these really nice dinners and they, to talk to the servers and do things we couldn't do, even though that sounds simple, you know, in order to the certain, you say, Oh, you, you guys won't like this, but you'll like this. And mm -hmm. so that was cool getting to experience it that way. Um, but back to your original question, am enjoying it a lot. You know, we're getting, um, you know, getting to travel, which is cool. And sometimes you don't get to go do stuff outside of work, right? You're, you're at the golf course and it's a big week. It's a busy week. You know, that comes first. And if you do get to go do stuff, that's extra stuff. But I'm enjoying the whole process of it. Um, the time off is different, right? Cause we'll have chunks of time where we're not actively working on something. We're going back home. You know, like I think when I first started the job, I was playing, I played golf in July and I was like, I haven't played golf in July, like on like a Tuesday <laughs> in five, six, seven years. Cause I've, I'm always doing some marking the next golf course and going to the next yeah. tournament. So that ebb and flow is nice. We're still working during that time. It's just not that nine to five, hey, we're in an office or, hey, I have this stuff to do. You have stuff to do and, you know, it might be in the morning or afternoon or, or all day or whatever, but you can kind of choose when you're going to work during those off times. So that was an adjustment. But overall, I've loved it. Um, it's cool to do something. And I tell this to a lot of people that ask. It's I always wanted to do it to officiate at the highest level. So, so to actually get to do it and be around like the best players in the world is really cool. Um pretty rewarding. I mean, I've, I've just, I just enjoyed it. That's really all I can say about it. Um, it's just, I've, I've loved it. And, you know, I've, you learn things as you go and that was different. You know, it's a totally different type of job than what I was doing at CGA, 
sort of relearn something like that and, and how the LPGA does stuff um, and setting up these big tournaments was a good challenge for me. And I've enjoyed doing that and still getting better, hopefully at it. And um, it's been cool. So to finally get to do that has been fun. Like, well, that's great. You know, well, I we miss like you. And uh, we'll, we'll just remember us when you're, uh, you know, a really big wig when you're the next commissioner or whatever it may be. But yeah. thanks for, thanks for joining. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back again uh, for Robert's Rules 3.0. So thank you for your time. Yeah. Great to see you.